thank God for it. Amen. If you have your Bibles tonight, we're interested in the book of Mark, chapter number two this evening. Mark, chapter number two. We want to begin reading in the 18th verse this evening. If you think about the preceding verses of this wonderful book, the Lord Jesus Christ has been traveling along the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee into the village of Capernaum. And as he is doing so, we know that he saw Levi sitting at the receipt of custom. He was a tax collector. And he walked up to that man that was hated and despised by his countrymen. They considered him lower than an unclean animal. They considered him vile and corrupt and scandalous. He walked up to this man and said, follow me. And he called Levi to be one of his very own disciples. Thank God for it. And here Levi, he goes and sets up a banquet at his house. And he invites all of his friends over. Jesus is going to be the guest of honor. Jesus is going to be speaking there. Jesus is invited along with his disciples. You see, Jesus was Levi's friend and Levi invited Jesus to his house to be an honored guest. In fact, Levi, a tax collector, when he invited his friends, he didn't really have any Christian friends. He knew Jesus. <laughs> Thank God he did. And he knew the disciples. He invited them to come. But that's all the Christians, all the believers that he knew. Everybody else was lost. They were, they were sinners. They were Republicans. But yet, when they got there, don't you know that Jesus enjoyed his fellowship amongst that crowd. And don't you know he probably won many of them to God that very day. And outside the house would have been the Pharisees. And they were gathered there and they called the disciples over and they asked him a question. Look at verse 16 at the end of it. How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? They're mad. They're trying to raise their ire by taking the disciples and saying, your master's messed up. He, he should be a holy man. He, he ought to know the scandalous crowd he's with. Amen. And Jesus said, they that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. And what he's saying is all this crowd is sick and I'm the great physician and I'm healed. I'm here to heal them today. He said, I didn't call the righteous I came to call sinners to repentance and thank God for it. Now we pick up the story in verse 18 because this situation's still happening. They're still just outside the house and they're drawing closer and closer, but they won't go in. Here's why. Levi, as a tax collector, they consider him unclean. And if he's unclean, they're not going in. And the disciples of John and of the Pharisees used to fast. Why and, and they came and say unto him, Why do the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast, but thy disciples fast not? Well, here we go again. Jesus said unto him, Can the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and then shall they fast in those days. No man also soweth a piece of new cloth on an old garment, else the new piece that filled it up taketh away from the old, and the rent is made worse. 
and no man putteth new wine into old bottles, else the new wine doth burst the bottles, and the wine is spilled, and the bottles will be marred. But new wine must be put into new bottles. That's Mark chapter 2, verses 18 through 22, if correctly read. We'll preach on this thought tonight. This is, Lord, let's let us on my heart. Grace stands alone. You cannot mix the old and the new. Grace stands alone. We're going to see that tonight. Now, I get to thinking about how Jesus, he's, he's going to point out the difference between religion and the grace of God that gives us salvation, that gives us a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Honey, tonight, I don't have religion. I have a relationship with Jesus Christ because he saved me and he forgave me of my sins. Religion is head knowledge, but the grace relationship is heart knowledge. Religion is about an outward change, but the grace relationship is an inward conversion by grace. Religion is a man turning over a new leaf, but a grace relationship is God granting a new life. Thank God for that. Religion is man saying, I'm going to start new habits. But a grace relationship is God giving you a new heart. Religion is, I'm going to try to reform. You know how you do on January the 1st. I'm going to try to reform. This is what I'm going to start doing. But a grace relationship is not about reform. It's about being reborn. Thank God for that. Religion is a redecoration of an old life. But a grace relationship is receiving the new life. Religion is man's attempt uh, to scale the walls into heaven by your achievements and the good works and the, and the good things that you do. But a grace relationship is what God has done for man on the cross. It is a divine, supernatural, sovereign work of grace. Now, Jesus here in this text is still in the house with publicans and sinners. And the Pharisees are gathered outside. And they are ensnared by religion, by that which is external. You know, they have the phylacteries on their forehead and on their arms and they're walking around and they're making long prayers and they're trying to impress people with who they are. That's why they won't even enter that house because they're trying to impress people. But they need a new birth. They need a new birth by grace that leads to a relationship. So in this text, Jesus is not just merely pointing out that the new is better than the old. What he is saying tonight is that the gospel of grace is incompatible with Judaism and with the law and with religion. Now it's gonna make sense in a minute. So we see a couple things, I think three things tonight. Number one, there is an interrogation. Let's look at the interrogation again, verse 18. The disciples of John and of the Pharisees, they say to Jesus, why do the disciples of John and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? So here's Jesus in the tax collector's house. He's attending a banquet. He's attending a feast filled with sinners. He's associating with them and they accuse him. Now just think about their logic, the logic of the Pharisees. 
The Pharisees are saying, verse 16 pointed it out, the Pharisees are saying, how can this man eat and drink with sinners and we do not? How can this man and his disciples not be fasting and we do fast? They are just pointing out that they are better than Jesus. Honey, if you're too good for Jesus, I don't want no part of you. Amen? Now, the Pharisees, I want to read about them in Luke chapter 18. I want to talk about how they thought about themselves. Luke chapter 18, verse number 9. The Bible says, He spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee, the other a publican. He's a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus within himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. What about that? Just imagine coming to the altar and say, boy, thank you, God, that I'm not like Darren. Yeah. What about that? Thank you, God, that I'm not like so-and-so. Boy, that'd be a real altar call, wouldn't it? That'd really be a graceful thing to do, to go up and try to build yourself up to God, speaking to God, telling God how good you are and how bad other people are. Look what he says in verse 12. He says, I fast how many times a week? He fasts twice a week. Now, listen to me. The Old Testament law said that the Jews were to fast one time a year. It's the Day of Atonement. is the only time they're required by the law to fast. So the Pharisees went and they took that and said, we're going to do better and we're going to fast not just once a year, we're going to fast twice, not twice a year, but twice a week. They've added to the law of God and the law of Moses, and now they've gotten it to be the rabbinical law. And if you don't do what they do, you're put down for it. And they're putting Jesus down and Jesus' disciples because standing out there, they're fasting twice a week, but Jesus not only are they questioning who his friends are and they're questioning who he's fellowshipping with, but now they're questioning his fasting. Wow, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God be merciful unto me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Now, I just want to say that I believe the Pharisees have a contentious spirit, and I believe the reason they're fault-finding and criticizing, and the reason they become contentious, they're telling Jesus, I see what you're doing, but our way is better than your way. You gotta watch people. People, I get a lot in my life. I well, see what you're doing, Preacher Darren, but my way's a better way, okay? And that can be a contentious spirit 
And I want to read Proverbs chapter 13 to you. Proverbs chapter 13. Let's just see where that stemmed from. Proverbs chapter 13. Verse number 10. Look at it with me. Proverbs 13, verse number 10. Where does that contentious, critical, fault-finding spirit, where does it come from? Only by pride cometh contention. Do you see that? Those Pharisees, do you understand? They're filled with pride. They're better than everybody else there. They're even better than Jesus. So there is their interrogation. They're asked two questions. They question his friends in fellowship and they question his fasting and they put him down for both of them. That is their interrogation. Number two, let's go back to our text. I see the illumination of Jesus, the illumination. Jesus is going to bring some things to light. He's going to point some things out here. You better be careful, and the Lord's done this to me, when he gives you his answer as a question. One time Job was calling on the Lord and kind of pointing some things out. What Job wanted to say, and God said to him, said, where were you? Right? Where were you? God's going to make his point by asking a question. That's scary. Look what the Lord says in verse number 19. Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? Question mark. As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. So Jesus directs them to think about a wedding ceremony. Seems like I was at a wedding maybe in the last day or two. Seems like I was at a wedding and, and just real observant of what was going on there. And I was watching. Did you know that the bridesmaids and the groomsmen, not one of them were fasting. Not one of them was mourning. Now maybe the father of the bride might be mourning because I've been on the other side of that too. But they're happy. It is a Happy, festive, joyous occasion. It is a time of celebration. It is a time to be married. And for the Jews, now, nowadays we have a wedding, and the wedding lasts 10, 20 minutes, and then they have a reception afterwards that may last a couple of hours and takes more time to clean it up than it did to have the reception. Say amen right there. And uh, the Jews didn't just have a two or three hour reception. The Jews had a reception for seven days. Seven days of celebration. It was not a time of fasting. You couldn't fast twice a week and go to a wedding or be part of a wedding. I mean, it's just not gonna happen. You know what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying what's happening here at Levi's house is not a time of mourning. It is not a time of fasting. It's a time of rejoicing. You know why? Because sinners are being saved. Because people's lives are being changed. The old things have become new. And it's time for, I need a little help right here. We, it's time to rejoice. I've told you God blessed us with four souls saved. Just in a couple of days. It's not a time to mourn. It's not a time to fast. It's a time to get excited. It's a time to rejoice. God is visiting and blessing his people. And yet in the middle of all them people being saved and all the testimonies that are being rendered, 
the Pharisees are outside criticizing, finding fault. And you're going to find Pharisees in every church and you better be careful that when you look in a mirror, you're not one yourself. Because when I check my mirror, I see a lot of Pharisee in me. Amen. That's exactly right. Notice with me, look at verse 18 again. I didn't say this, but I want to now. Did you see where it says the disciples of John? Not just the Pharisees, but the disciples of John. Now they've taken to fasting twice a week. Now they're not joining in. What's happened? John has been arrested. John is in a jail cell. Their leader is gone, they feel like. And I think they're fasting twice a week that the Lord would set him free, that he'd be able to get out of prison. I'm telling you. And now the Pharisees are trying to join themselves with John when the whole time they hated John. They rejected John. They did all they could to trip him up as well. But they're trying to find anybody that could help them in their accusation, in their, in their attack on the Lord Jesus Christ. Why, I'll ask you a question, why are they rejoicing at Levi's house? Why? Why is Levi rejoicing? Because his sins, which are many, are gone. Why is the prostitutes and the other tax collectors and the drug dealers and the alcoholics, why are they in there rejoicing? They're being saved. Their sins are being forgiven. They're being given a new promise. They're being given grace and mercy. Thank God for it. So look at verse 20. Jesus said, but the days will come when the bridegroom, Jesus is the groom, when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them and and then shall they fast in those days. Jesus is saying there will be a day when these disciples mourn. They're going, when they will be mourning, they will mourn when the groom is taken away and Jesus will be taken away. They're going to arrest him outside the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, They're going to pull his arms up behind his back. They're going to take him off for six trials in the middle of the night. They're going to take him and stand him before Pilate. They're going to take him up to Calvary's hill. They're going to crucify him there. He's going to lay down his life. He's going to be crucified. He will be taken away forcefully and violently, and yet he was in control and allowed it to happen. Mark is just revealing this truth by recording what Jesus said, and I want to look at some verses in Mark that point this out. Mark, have your Bible ready. Mark chapter 8, we're going to go quickly, verse 31. Mark 8, 31. The scripture says, He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Jesus tells them, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to give my life. I'm going to die. But I'm going to be raised up again. Look at verse 32. He spake that saying openly. Peter took him. That means he laid hands on him to take him aside. The Bible says he began to rebuke him. What about that? He, Simon Peter, rebuked the Lord. And the Lord looked at the disciple and rebuked Peter and said, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. Look in chapter 9. 
in verse number 31. Once again, Jesus is teaching and he's telling his disciples and the world what's going to happen. For he taught his disciples and said unto them, The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. Amen. Look at Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Well, I love this verse. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Hallelujah. Chapter 12. I want to pause here for a minute and read a few verses. He, verse 1, he began to speak unto them by parables. A certain man planted a vineyard and set a hedge about it and digged a place for the wine fat and built a tower and let it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. And at the season he sent to the husbandman a servant that he might receive from the husband, husbandman of the fruit of the vineyard. And they called him and beat him and sent him away empty. And again he sent unto them another servant. And at him they cast stones and wounded him in the head and sent him away shamefully handled. And again he sent another and him they killed and many others beating some and killing some. Having yet therefore one son, here's Jesus, his well beloved, he sent him also last unto them saying, they will reverence my son. But those husbandmen said among themselves, this is the heir, come let us kill him and the inheritance shall be ours. And they took him and killed him and cast him out of the vineyard. What shall therefore the Lord of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the husbandman and will give the vineyard unto others. And have you not read this scripture? The stone which the builders rejected is become the head of the corner. This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. It is God's ordained plan that his son would give his life that we might be saved, that our sins might be forgiven, that they might be washed away covered under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was never his intent that we would fulfill the law. He said, I did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. We could not fulfill it. Our sins have proved that. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But thanks be unto God for Jesus, who came and fulfilled the law as the perfect one and shed his blood and said, Father, I'll go in their place if you'll receive me, Father. And he did receive them by grace and by mercy. I want to rock the pulpit. I'm telling you right now that just as much as Levi had his sins forgiven and he's on his way to heaven, honey, one night at the Balfour Baptist Church, Jesus passed by my way and he saved my soul. And he's been doing it right here before us this very week. Thank God for the grace of God. Thank God for it. Thank God there was a day that the bridegroom was taken away and the disciples had to start mourning and they had to start fasting at that point in time. Now, he's trying to tell those Pharisees, you're not gonna make it by your uh, living according to the law. You're not gonna make it by your religion. You're not gonna make it on your good works. You think you're gonna make it because you won't? Fellowship with Levi and walk into his house, 
Boys, that's not good enough. That's never going to do. And thirdly, and I'll be done, Jesus gives us some illustrations. He gives us two of them. Let's think about them. In verse 21, Jesus says, No man also soweth a piece of new cloth on an old garment, else the new piece that filled it up taketh away from the old, and the rent is made worse. There's two pictures here. This is the first one. It is a picture in clothing. It is a garment. It is old. It is tattered. It is torn. It has a hole in it. I started to bring a garment. I wish I'd have brought it. And the Lord said, you would not take a new piece of cloth to patch up that old garment with. Because what happens is that new cloth being stronger and the old garment being weaker, when you go and you wear it, it may do for a little bit, but when the first time you wash it, that new garment's going to draw, and when it does, it's going to pull that old garment, and it's going to make the hole that you covered worse than it ever was to start with. What he's saying is the new is stronger than the old, and the new is better than the old, May I say it like this? I'll need an amen here. The old is incompatible with the new. The new will destroy the old. You see, the Pharisees sought salvation by their works and by keeping the law. That's old Judaism, and it's never going to work. Jesus said, you've got to, you can't come on old dead religion. You can't come by, you've got to come by grace. Amen. You, we must come by grace. And the Lord's saying, I did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. Jesus said, it's not me plus something else. It's not Jesus plus the law. It's not grace plus the law. It's the new grace. Hey, grace stands alone. Thank God for it. In verse 22, he gives us a picture in containers. No man putteth new wine into old bottles, else the new wine doth burst the bottles, and the wine is spilled, and the bottles will be marred. But new wine must be put into new bottles. So let's talk about the containers. Wine is kept in animal skins. Those, those wine skins are animal skins. They're, they're leather containers, and when... New wine is poured into the new wine skin. The gases inside the wine begin to expand, which causes the wine skin just to expand to its limit, and then it holds the rest of the wine. And as the skin ages, as the wine skin ages, and as the wine is used up, when you have new wine, you may think, well, I'm just going to go get that old wine skin. And I'm going to put new wine in the old wine skin. But here's what's going to happen. When that new wine and all of the gases is released into that old wine skin, that old wine skin is old, dry. It, it's already stretched to its limit. It, it's brittle. And the minute those gases begin to expand of the new wine in the old wine skin, the old wine skin goes 
it bursts. Now you've lost your container and you've lost the new wine. I'm telling you, the Lord is saying, pay very close attention. You, the gospel stands alone. You cannot put the gospel of grace inside the wineskin of the law. It will not work. Jesus, hear me. Jesus did not come here when he saved me that night. He did not come here to reform or to patch up my life. He didn't say, well, you've thought bad thoughts and you've said bad things. I'm gonna put a patch here and a patch here and some cement there. And, and now, now that's pretty good. Go back to your seats, you're saved. Now keep the law best you can. I've already proved I can't keep the law. It's impossible. That's why I'm a sinner, right? He didn't come to patch it up. He came to give you a new life. I want to read John 10, 10. Let's turn there. It just comes to mind. John chapter 10 and verse number 10. John 10, 10. Look what Jesus said. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. Watch, watch here. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Amen. Amen. If I was in trouble with the law, Jesus said, I'll fulfill the law for you, son. I know you can't, but I can. I got that for you. Now, by my grace, I'm going to forgive your sins and I'm going to, if any man be in Christ, the old things are passed away and all things are made new. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. He's not a patched up creature. He's not a reformed creature. He's new. Thank God for it tonight. I'm about ready to take off. I'm feeling a running spell stirring inside me right now. I'm so excited. What he did for me was not a patchwork that'll never hold. But listen, if you do the patch, the new will bust and break the old. You're going to have more problems than you had to start with. That's a lot of people's problems. They don't want to get saved, amen. They just want a little patching up, a little of this and a little. Listen, honey, it's not a little patching up you need. You need to be made anew. You need to be made afresh. You just need to be saved, amen. Now, I want to turn and read out of Luke. Luke chapter five. This is a strange time to say this, but it's on my heart. Luke chapter five, verse 39. Now, this is a parallel passage to Mark's gospel. I could read out of Matthew. I like how Luke puts it. It's very close in verses 36, 37, and 38. But now watch this in verse 39. No man also having drunk old wine straightway desireth new. For he saith, the old is better. What's that mean, preacher Darren? Now ain't it just like that no camp, egg-sucking dog devil to come along and say, oh no, you don't really need a new life. You don't really want to be one of them there Christians. I know you may be a little messed up right now. 
Let's let things stay the same. Let's just do a little patchwork on you here, there, and yonder. We'll get a little bondo. We'll repair some of the fenders you've bumped off with that mouth that you had yelling, screaming at everybody. We're going to get you a little repair work here where you plowed into somebody else. You wrecked, you're honest. The devil tries to come around and say, you don't need a new life. You don't need new joy. You don't need direction from Jesus. You don't need a new master. You're doing just fine the way you are. I bet he wants to say that to you because he's your old master. Amen? Religion is filled with dead men's bones and the devil is the best at religion there is. Don't forget, he was a cherubim in heaven and his job probably was leading the angelic choir. He's gonna tell you, you don't need a new master. You don't need a new life. Let everything, listen, you've got the old wine and the old wine skin that me and you is all it's needed. Honey, I'm gonna tell you, that's gonna run out on you and when it does, you're gonna need forgiveness. You're gonna need your sins washed away, put under the blood, thank God for it and the only way is to get life anew, life afresh through the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me say this tonight. Every one of us are like old garments Old pieces of cloth. Isaiah said that our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Well, preacher, I'll just wash them. What you gonna wash them in? You gonna wash them in devil tide? Devil game? What you gonna wash them in? Huh? You'll never get them clean. Honey, Jesus came to give you garments of salvation. And it's a new garment. I was thinking at this wedding I went to the other day. I won't say whose it was, but I'll leave it open to your imagination. But as I stood there thinking, I thought about the bride. She's bought a new dress. I thought about the groom. He's bought, a, a, he's rented a suit. Did you know in the old economy, and I looked at all the people, and there they were. Man, they had umbrellas over their head. People was cold, wind blowing in their face. And, and, and you know, we try to tell them to put their umbrellas down. It's going to get their hair wet, going to get their clothes wet. And I stand there thinking, Lord, in the old economy, what they would have done is when you walk to the wedding, everybody put on a new garment to go into the wedding. Everybody's garments kind of sort of matched. It wasn't a uniform, but everybody got, and I'm not telling you, you bought your own. Imagine this. What if I'd have said everybody that comes to the wedding we're going to buy you a new suit or a new dress. Reckon we'd have had a bigger crowd. Right? Honey, you're not going to go to heaven in your old garments. It won't hold up. They're going to wear out. They already are. Amen? The only way you're going to get into the wedding between Jesus as the groom and the church as the bride is you've got to have a new wedding garment. And it only comes through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and His shed blood. No other way around it. Are y'all okay? All of us are like old wineskins, tattered, torn. Here's the problem. 
The Lord would love to pour his joy into you. He wants you to have fullness of joy. He wants you to have life and life more abundantly. And he tries to pour that into you. But here's the problem is, I found out that I leak. And you leak. Your joy runs out. And we need to stop the leaks up. Well, preacher Dan, we need some cement and some Bondo and, and some Gorilla Glue and some crazy glue. And, and we'll, that, that'll stop it. Uh, we'll go to that, that guy for $19.99. We'll get some of that, that, that flex stuff. And, and we'll be all right that way, preacher Darren. And wait, there's more. We can get two jars of it. And I'll give it to my friends. Honey, as much as you try to do it on your own, it will never be accomplished. It's by grace and grace alone. It, were, it would not be, I started to say, it weren't grace if it was something you could do. If it's something you could accomplish, it is not grace, okay? So, I want to close right here. Men and women nowadays have become so entrenched in religion, they can't see their error. They, they, they still want to live by the old system. And if you try to combine law and grace, you're going to ruin it in both places. You see, Jesus wants to give you a brand new life. Let's, let me put it like this. Maybe you'll get it better like this. We say, I don't understand why you can't mix law and grace. Honey, it won't work. You understand something? That the Lord Jesus Christ, the way he has dispensations in the Bible, there's the nation of Israel and God has promises for them. Then there is the church. You may say it's spiritual Israel. You're right. But Israel as a nation and the church are two different entities. And you cannot mix the two. You either have to, amen, you have to get out of one and get in the other. All the way. How is it that song says, I tell you the best thing I ever did do is I put off the old man. I put off the old coat and I put on the new. Amen. amen? That's what's got to happen. I was looking, I was, I was thinking about if you took a sailboat. So you see those big boats with their great big sails up there? And oftentimes, the wind may start tearing holes inside those sails. Here's what happens. If you try to patch a hole with a brand new piece of cloth, when the new material gets wet and then it dries, it makes the old pull even harder and makes a bigger hole than it ever was. You see, you just cannot mix the new and the old. I'm going to ask you a question. Have you been made new? Four people. Four people. Have you been made new? Thank God for it, amen. There was a sinful boy. He had ruined his family name. His daddy was a good man. His mama was a good man. Had drugs, drinking, carousing with women all over town. Finally, he struck his mama. His daddy said, son, that's all of that mess I can take. I, 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 the drugs has been bad. And the drinking and the carousing's ruined their name all over town. It's been bad on us. But hitting your mama was the last step. Son, I hate to tell you this, but you're gone. You're out. He said, fine, you're kicking me out, dad. I'll show y'all. I'll never be back. And the boy left. And years went by, and mom and daddy's heart was broken. Though that boy struck mother, they still loved him. Their heart still yearned to fellowship with him. And they wanted to see him and wanted to be with him. And so finally, 
They wrote a letter, found where the boy was, sent him a letter and said, Son, we want you to come home. And the boy, he came and he said, If I'm welcome home, how will I know? Well, we've invited you. Well, there's an old apple tree out there. I'm going to get on the train. There's an old apple tree out there on the train. If you'll tie a white ribbon in that tree, I know to jump off the train and I'm welcome home. And the boy got on the train and he's headed home. He's got right with God in his life. He's getting ready to get right with his family. He's on the train and they're coming up that straightaway, getting ready to make that last bend towards the old home place. And he looks, there's a preacher sitting there with him. And the boy was weeping. The preacher said, son, are you okay? He said, no, sir, I'm not. He said, I've been drinking and drugging and carousing. I've went so far as to hit my mother and they've invited me to come back home. And, and I just don't even know how could they find it in their heart to welcome me and forgive me after all that I've done. But I told them if they would welcome me to tie a white ribbon in that old apple tree and Sir, I can't even afford, I can't, I can't even look. I'm, I'm too nervous about it. I'm too upset. Would you look for me? And man, the preacher prayed with him and they went around that bin and he put his hand on his shoulder and he said, Son, I've got good news for you. There's your old gray-headed daddy and your mama standing there arm in arm. And not only one ribbon on that tree, but that tree is full of ribbons just knowing that you wouldn't miss your welcome home, son. And that boy jumped up and said, Woo, praise God. And he jumped off that train and went and fellowship with his mom and daddy in open arms. I want to say, you to, I want to say this to you tonight. Thank God for his grace. Amen. Thank God, he says tonight, that we're still welcome. That, that it's not about us keeping the law. Thank God I'm not trying to keep the Sabbath, which is on Saturday. I thank God I'm trying to keep all those frivolous laws which were against me. Thank God tonight I don't have to offer the shed blood of an animal one time every year. Thank God for that. Thank God tonight that I'm, it's all under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. He's made my life new. Amen. That's the best thing that I ever did do. I put off the old man and I put on the new. I feel like I ought to sing that tonight. Amen. Father, we thank you for the good word of God. And Father, when I look tonight at the word of God, you're pointing out, Jesus is pointing out, grace stands alone. There cannot be a patchwork. It cannot be anything we do. It has got to be a sovereign work of a holy God. All we do is get dry and brittle and empty. We tear and we're weary. But Lord, thank God you took off our old garments and you washed us and gave us garments fit for salvation. And Lord, tonight we praise you and we honor you and we glorify you. And Lord, we thank you. God, I thank you for the souls you've saved. Father, I've still got some people on my heart that I know that's told me I'm lost. Pray for me. I need to be saved. God, times are running out. Help us, God, that we'd get a burden. Help us, God, that we'd get serious. Help them, God, that they'd realize, Father, this is not a patchwork thing that they can do. Lord, it's got to be the grace of God. And why they'd run from it, I don't know. But I pray, God, you'd give them faith and you'd give them courage to repent. And, God, you'd save them when they call upon you, Lord. For this I pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people say,